to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast episode 136 and it's Mr. Kennedy. Um, my name is Matthew Turner. Yes. Ryan, Stephen and how you doing lads? Got to drag it out longer than that. Like you need like a good 30 second like Kennedy. I come from Bristol, England. <laughs> You've got to do the oh, that's one of the most iconic entrances in wrestling ever. Oh, props to the um the boys Ant and Ryan for joining us straight away after the end of their last stream. Just to talk about the college football show off the bat, they had a really good episode. Just go live on the Mac, and if you're into your college football, go and check that out. It was a really good listen. I caught the last 30, 40 minutes or so when prepping for this. So. Do that for us. Do us a favour. Help support the show over there. Be much appreciated. Just a little bit of housekeeping. Otherwise, before we start, Discord channel up and going. I've put some links out for it, but come and join us. It's a really vibrant community. Uh, Like the episode and sub and all that good stuff. Lions Nation Unite as well. Go ahead and download that app. It's Herman Moore's project. He's brought all the best content creators together in one place. Go ahead, download that, and you can see us and Dose of Dion and all the good people over there. And we're also a Twitch affiliate. If you guys aren't using your, your Prime sub from your Amazon subscription, if you don't know what it is, you do get a free Twitch Prime sub. It doesn't cost you a penny, but it gives about £2 to us or something in that realm. It takes it out of their pocket and into ours. If you have that going, would really appreciate that. And as well, if you haven't caught the last episode we did Monday, just six days ago now, we did talk to Sam Monson from PFF, fantastic interview, the last half an hour of that show, I urge you to go and have a listen to that episode, if you're interested at all in how PFF works and how they see themselves too, it's a really good listen. Boys, how are we doing? Uh, not too much news to go through this week, but Hard Knocks and the preseason game too, and another game to come this Sunday, just a week's time, it feels like the season isn't too far away now. Oh, we finally get to talk about a whole plethora of things that aren't just, you know, rumours and, you know, at this point. It, it's so lovely. Hard Knocks is great. Preseason's going decent. So it's absolutely lovely. And just to quickly finish the plugs there you did. Um, we're at 496 subscribers on YouTube. So if you could get us up to 500 today, that would be wonderful. So if you're not done yet, that would be great. We'll be halfway to 1,000. We'd love it. But yeah, so much Lions content at the minute. It's It's wonderful. And a win, like you know, a big fat W at last. I think Ash put in the chat that we hadn't won in preseason since 2018, which is fairly embarrassing, uh, but not that surprising. Um, but I think the fact that we won against you know the Colts, who are one of the more be- better um, organized franchises in the NFL, and who you would expect to have some strength and depth. So for me, that was uh, that was great and. It was a good a good match to watch as well. Yeah, it was quite fun actually. I think, as you agree, some teams are great. Some teams don't have any depth. Their twos and threes are good. 
like I said, that they, they, they've got players out there that will start on other teams and players that I like and I've got my eye on if they don't make their team. So we learned a lot and hard knocks. Just picked to where it left off. Like I say, it felt more tense this week. Like I say, it was definitely more down to business, which I liked. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more meat to chew over for us. Let's just start with a little bit of news. So the Steelers have claimed our centre, Ryan McCollum, off waivers. The first Lions guy to leave and be picked up by someone else. I thought that was noticeable uh, and notable. Because the cuts are coming for the Lions. By Tuesday, we've got to be down to 80, currently 85. There's rumours swirling around at the moment that people might get waived with injury designations. Some people haven't been travelling to Indy and what have you, or got injured while they were there. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of days. And then moving on to the joint practices. So obviously before the Colts um, game, we did actually train with them on Wednesday and Thursday. A little bit on that, on day one, McNeil notably was giving the Colts O-line some real problems, including Quentin Nelson, I think. Um, the Lions offense had a slow start adjusting to the Colts' D. They play a different defense to we do, and, you know, I think that's the real value in these joint practices, just seeing something different to what you do every single day. Uh, but the offense did come on strong late. Uh, it was noted by the... Colts beat writers that we were using lots of misdirection play action passes which is really encouraging to hear because it's one of the things that the Lions offense have or had accusations of not trying to use enough of in the last decade so really good to hear. Lions do struggle generally against Matt Ryan especially Armani and Jeff in the corners which was not so great but then in the flat final day day two huge rebound day on defense with many pass breakups and more competition which was a point of emphasis of the day. Jeff Akuda especially stepped up in 7-on-7s, Hutchinson and McDeal dominating their 1-on-1s, and Austin Bryant continuing his absolutely barnstorming camp, locking up three sacks with the twos and the threes, and obviously he followed that up with a really good preseason game. Just a little bit on those joint practices to start, what do you make of what we've been hearing out of there so far? It was only a couple of days, but I think it was eye-opening to see that some of the Lions defenders doing well, not just against the Lions offensive line for once. I kind of really liked what we saw out of that. Um, We said last week that the Colts were going to be a massive step up from the Falcons, just in terms of they're going to smack you back harder than the Falcons will. You know, we're going to hit them, they're going to hit back twice as hard. And you saw that on the first day. I think we went into it, and I think, you know, the upturn in skill you're facing against, like say the defense struggled, some of the offensive drills, they struggled a little bit. I think that is coming up against a better opposition and you have to learn to play against them and get better. But they did when they came out on the second day and like I say, the defense were getting better. Jeff looked really good. You know, Armani looked better. You're like, right, well, that's positive. That's what you want. You know, we came up against a tougher opposition. It took us a little while to adapt, but adapt we did. And we looked just as good as them on the second day. So that's what these joint practices are for, if any, you know, the better team probably is going to do better when you come up one-on-one on scrimmage to start with, just because, like you say, they got some real good talent there, and you're stepping up to their level. So, and I put it on the, I put it on Twitter about Akuda. This is why you don't go and slag a player off on one day of training in camp against you know another team because one day later he could make you look very stupid, and he did. It was endemic of a lot of players on that first day. They struggled, and then day two they were much better. So support your players, back them. They did really well. I was really, really impressed by the way they bounced back. Because after day one, 
you did have a wonder about whether this was a step too far or not, but no, it was not. Tempers flared as well. That was interesting to see. We've seen a lot of fighting. Really bad as well at camps throughout these and joint practices. But yeah, it got chippy. Like I say, Jeff didn't like getting beaten by Pittman, who had his number a few times on the first day. And then they, they were going out, they were jarring each other. And then we saw the very vocal spat between uh, Jamal and uh, the likes of uh, Zaire, which looks looks a bit childish, but it shows just... I think it's indicative of what the mood was like in joint practice. Tensions were high. Like I say, they were tense. Like I say, they were chippy. They were fired up as well. They were getting properly into it. And sometimes it probably boiled over a little bit, but they still managed to keep it in check. Not like any sides, not mentioning any names. Carolina and New England, Christ. So I think, yeah, I think we saw a massive difference from week one to week two. It wasn't all, oh, let's all hold hands and play fucking kumbaya and spin around in a circle. It's pre-season. This was like, I'm going to smack you in the face. You're going to smack me back. But then we're going to shake hands. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I didn't see much of the, the pre-season, um, the, the joint practices, but, you know, the fact that it's chippy and competitive and players are going head-to-head, I mean, that's surely the point of joint practices. But, yeah, you don't want to, to descend like the Panthers and the Patriots into, like, embarrassing schoolyard hair-pulling and fighting. I just want to say kudos to the staff for getting the Colts as the training practice. I think they were the perfect team. You know, they, they, they are a step up in opposition and they are tough in the trenches. And that's where we want to build the foundation of our football team. And, you know, it's always Austin Bryan, you know, having to step up. He's fighting for a roster spot. He's getting in there with the sacks. He's he's up against some of the better guys. And I think it was a terrific choice of opponent there. Although I will say Colts fans, you are a big group of mod asses. The amount of heat I got after calling out Zaire Alexander for what he said to Jamal, no, you've not won a playoff game. It's, it's, yeah, t- change the record. Like a billion other people have used that argument. And just, you can't accept the fact that your guy was trying to, you know, sleep with Jamal the way he was trying to get his shirt off. It was it was terrible. Well, and it's just the last resort of someone who doesn't have an argument. It's like, yeah. oh, we're going to talk about something current. And it's like, oh, we're going to insult you with something in the past. And it's like... Sure, okay, but when you want to come to the table with something relevant, that's great. Please, mm. I'm very pleased that you uh, you stooped to <laughs> as low as to mention the the Jags game in week eighteen. Huh? Well done. That's exactly what I would have done. It's true, though. <laughs> you know, it's like the Vikings last year. They, you know, they needed to beat us to stay in the playoffs, and they choked. That that shows that there's mental problem in that team there with them, and and they didn't have, you know. They've what lost five years in a row in Jacksonville. In Jacksonville, the last five appearances, they just can't win there. That's a mental issue. You do like the UK Colts, though. Oh, oh the yeah. UK Colts are fine, but yeah, the, their American counterparts are mad asses. Agreed. All right, we'll move on from the joint practices and talk a little hard knocks to break this up before talking about the Colts game. So this dropped on Tuesday in the States and on Thursday over here in the UK. And I kind of just watched it back earlier today just to kind of make sure I wasn't missing anything big going through. And I don't think there's any sort of massive points of emphasis in the entire episode. There was a really good kind of amount of little bits of fluff in between with some really good bits, but nothing really kind of standing out to me just all great content all the way through to be honest and it started off with a brief history lesson then you see Ragnar on his boat filming 
Grizzly Man Outdoors, which is really cool. And then the first notable thing to me was Mark Brunel, actually, the quarterback's coach, coming to everyone and just saying, right, I've got two, two things, things for you. <laughs> Don't throw it to them, throw it to us. Like, <laughs> at the end of the day, people are questioning sometimes what these coaches do. And I don't know if that's just that he knew he was had a camera in his face and he wanted to make a joke, or whether sometimes, literally, just you want to make light of the situation as a coaching technique and just to say, be focused, guys, you know what to do already sort of thing. And then maybe the adjustments inside what you're doing is more important than prepping them beforehand because they're doing that for themselves, right? I, I feel like to blow, blow and boil, that's just like life advice. Throw it to our guys, don't throw it to them. I feel like that that, that is worldly information for them too. Oh, and don't fumble the damn thing either. <laughs> yeah, alright. He's a nice guy, is Mark. I've always questioned what he offers the offence, and I still don't really know it, but uh, if Goff plays well, then I can overlook if Brunel just sits there reading the paper with his arms up and lets him get on with it. All right, moving on from that, there was a two-minute drill that was shown. Goff looked composed all the way through. Really nice pass to Josh Reynolds on the boundary on third down, and then an Amon Rasant Brown touchdown. The first team defense didn't really seem to kind of get close to him, the offensive line seemed to stand up in that one particular scrimmage. Uh, and then Josh Reynolds was invited to break it down, and his nickname is absolutely fantastic. Big Smooth, where's Big Smooth? The motherfucking Serpent of Death. <laughs> like, I want that to be my nickname when I grow up to be an NFL player, for God's sake. I think I'd rather be called Big Smooth than Serpent of Death. It sure, just sure. rolls off the tongue a little bit better. Shall we come up with a nickname for Matt, then? I'm sure we can think of something. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. <laughs> what? Do you not but trust the, us? The abacus of doom. <laughs> hmm. Ant says, do you not trust us while simultaneously concocting a brilliantly terrible plan? <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking. The cogs are turning. Mm, yeah, I'm back I can't next wait week. to hear it. Um, moving on from that, we started to see the real star of this episode, which was Rodrigo! Um, just kind of every time you saw him in reps, he was physical. He was hitting gaps and people. You saw people on the sidelines saying, who's that guy? Or, you know, kind of Malcolm's just doing the business. And then it cuts to the linebackers meeting with Coach Shep. And, you know, just before that, you said to Malcolm, you're doing great. The world's your oyster. You can do whatever you want to do in this league. This year is whatever you make it. And then he goes into the meeting and basically just uses Malcolm's good play to shit on everyone else. Like, you guys are crap. You're being outplayed by a rookie who's just doing what he's told. This is exceptionally good linebacker play and a coach who's been here for the last five years, who's presumably Hank Fraley as he's the only qualifying guy, who said that's the best stack linebacker play he's seen from someone in camp since he's been here. He's a sixth round rookie. Pull your finger out and get the work done because I can't hold him back forever. And I thought it was amazing to see what Shep did with Malcolm before the meeting and then seeing the meeting. Because if you watched the meeting and for the first minute of it where he's shitting on everyone else, you could um you could be forgiven for thinking that he's really kind of having a go at Malcolm for being for showing everyone up. But he's kind of coached him before saying, you know, you could do whatever you want. And then with the rest of the guys just kind of saying, look, this rook is going to take your job and you're going to go. 
a bit sorry for um, Rodriguez because it kind of reminded me of like school, you know, that rare occasion that you actually Being do your scolded. homework. And then like <laughs> you do your homework and like you manage to like turn out something half decent and then the school teacher embarrasses you in front of the class by going, oh, look how good this is. And, you know, it's like real apple for teacher stuff. And it, it was kind of like a bit, <laughs> a bit sorry because I would imagine after the coaches had gone, um, probably some of the bigger guys would probably like kick lumps out of a teacher's pet. Oh, um, yeah, sorry. I just saw that thing from Dan then. That's hilarious. Um, so, yeah, I just want to say this, this whole thing with Rodrigo, I just want to say this backs up everything we've been saying about him since he got drafted. So I can remember back to the start, not long after the draft, when even the groups like Pride of Detroit saying, oh, you know, your day three rookies shouldn't be starting on these teams. You know, your team should be better than that, etc. And we were like, no, hang on. He's gone day three, but there's something about this guy. You know, I was delighted when we got him on day three of the draft. Picked him out as one of the guys there who was still to be had, who is much better than the position we got him at. And it's not just, you know, because, you know, people can, like, pick up every day three pick and go, oh, they're going to be the greatest thing in the world. We, You know, we don't do that. There, there was something special about this guy from the off. You know, I will always maintain he dropped down the draft because of his size and his arm reach. You know, that is a big thing for a linebacker. And it happens. You saw it happen with Kobe Dean to a lesser extent. I know there were injury things, but his size didn't help him either. He dropped because of his size and his arm span. Anyone who's watched him in college will know it's not an issue for him. Anyone who knows the background there with him, the wrestling background, the technical ability that he has to grapple with bigger guys and win, it was on tape there for all to see. So this hype wasn't just, oh yeah, Brad Holmes is amazing, he's just plucked a, you know, he's plucked a feather out of a hat type of thing in round three. No, this is actually a calculated, qualified move they've made with a really good guy. And everything we said, he will learn. He will do special teams if he needs to. He was the first guy to make us tackle on special teams last week. I called that as something he'd do because of his attitude. Everything we said, down to the learning, the attitude, everything has proven right about him. And we said he will be a starter sooner rather than later. And I just loved seeing this bit because it's like, there you go. There's the coaches in the team saying... They, they they might have to put him out first because the other guys are not doing so well. So I'd like to feel justified that all of us here, we saw this coming. And it's it's just wonderful to see. And hopefully this translates into the NFL season. I just want to say, I hope every player in that room took that personally. Like I said, because he wasn't telling off Malcolm. He was shitting on everyone else. And he was saying, all of you need to book your fucking ideas up. Like I said, he's a sixth rounder. And currently, week one, he will be starting as of this minute right now. I reckon he's a star and expands alone because no one else is pulling the goddamn finger out and no one, no one is threatened by him that they should be. I reckon they all don't think that he can start or they don't think the coaches have the balls to start him. They will and they're all, they need to wake up quickly because half of those guys in that room might not even make this team. So like I say, I, I am fine with him being teacher's pet. He seems to be handling the pressure. I think there's a lot of pressure on him because they're putting heaps of pressure on him. They're heaping praise on him. And that that builds a target on his back. And he's handling it really well. He's a very down-to-earth kid. Don't seem serious at all. It seems like everything's just a, it's just fun and games to him. And I think that's the best way he can go through it. I mean, just, that, that grin where he just goes, I get to hit people. It's just like, you kind of feel 
scared almost like it's just so nonchalant he's just like yeah i'm gonna make i'm gonna hit people and it's gonna be my favorite thing in the world yeah mildly psychopathic but never mind just want to <laughs> just want to give a shout out to everyone in the live chats on youtube and twitch thank you for your comments i'll try and read out as many as i can as we go through and if you have any questions let me know i'll put them in the in the um prep document that we've got and we'll address them at the end of the show got dr detroit and micro mike in the house thank you for you guys coming on especially as well carl Reimick has just said if any linebacker in that meeting was listening to the rodrigo love i hope it was Derek barnes we need barnes to take anzalone's spot next year dr detroit said linebackers are not really drafted high in the nfl either they're less valued name a linebacker drafted number one overall now name a wide receiver drop mike um Hot Rod is the man, as always, says Don Burke, called it last season during week 15. Rodriguez will be a Detroit Lion and be a stud. I laughed at him crazy. Um, cool Down Rat said, the thing with Rodriguez is he can read players better than any other linebacker right now. And Ash says in that meeting, the camera cutting to Jared Davis was very telling. It is stark, the difference to me, between Jared, more athletically gifted, hits people hard, runs around like a madman, but reading plays is just a struggle for him. And then you have a look at Rodriguez and it's just a totally different deal. Still very physical, obviously, despite his height, but he's always in the right place. It's amazing. If you implanted Rodrigo's brain in Jared Davis's body, you would have one hell of a linebacker. Mm. Or vice versa. If if you know, if you, if you put Jared Rod Davis's you... brain inside Rod Rodriguez's body. <laughs> no, if you gave Rodriguez the body of Jared Davis, mm. you know, he would, you know, it would be scary. Mm. But, you know, this is what we want. You know, we say we want to build this team through the draft. And then in the same mind, we're like, oh, well, he's just a third round piece. Not going to work. This is what we want to see. These draft picks overperforming expectations and surprising us. And that's exactly what they're doing. And it's not just him. You know, Chase Lucas has been making plays on and off the field. You know, Houston's getting better and better. This, you know, this team, this coaching staff can actually identify bona fide talent in the end of a draft, which is going to be better than the position you drafted them at. This is what we've wanted for years. Absolutely. Moving on through the episode, the next of the coaching meetings, one that uh, was really interesting was Deuce talking um, to the offensive coaches and, and Dan about trying to blow up Swift and, and saying, you know, that he's got the talent to be one of the best in this league, but he needs that dog mentality. And then it cuts to the the running back meeting and all the running backs are there, including Jamal and Craig and whatever, but they're just trying to blow up Swift and say, look, if you want it, you got to take it. Like... At some point, you've got to realize that you can't make this easy for some guys. And if you can't outrun people, you've got to try something different. Don't just run straight at him. It's not going to cut it that way. And found it really interesting. One, because they clearly believe that Swift is a confidence player, much like Jared Goff. And it's going to be interesting. I think we're either going to spiral upwards or downwards on that point quite quickly this season. Um, but for Swift... Not realising for me that at this point in time, he hasn't yet got it that sometimes you need to make things difficult for the opposition. That's almost worrying to me, Ryan. This is a make or break year for Swift. If Swift don't find that dog in him this year, I am moving on. I am sorry, but he is that this year will provide ample opportunity for him to kick into high gear and prove that he is the running back one 
is the dependable guy, the guy that can pound the rock. Right, so he can do everything else. He's a fantastic receiving threat. He can make guys miss on the outside. Can we find a way, like say, where he can make cutback lanes, where he can uh, run through tackles? Will that ever be something he can do to become the complete package? I agree he's got it in him. Juice is trying to get it out of him. I agree with you. It's mental. It's not physical. I say it's nothing like that. It's not skill. He's got the skill. Like I say, he's watching film back. You'll see it as well when they're watching back, like I say, and he's yelling at him in the first preseason game. Whether he does it good, whether he does it right, Juice yells at him. Like I said, he's trying to be a father figure for him. He is not going to let himself off the hook. Like I say, because DeAndre Marks bought that player really went really well. But Juice might be like, well, do you know what? This is what you could have done better. Like I said, this is what I want you to think about. He is going to put everything he's got into him. Like I say, he's going to put heart and soul into getting the best out of Swift. But at the end of the day, only DeAndre can do it. Like I said, Juice can't do it for him. We can't do it for him. Like I said, we can hype him up as much as we want, but he can only be as good as he is. So this this is the whole fascination for me for Hard Knocks. Like I say, is Juice Staley because he has become the life and soul of the party. The cameras, everyone's just gravitating towards him. So this, this is the most excited I've been to see Swift because I feel like now the ceiling is there. I just want to see him hit it. I think um, this was like for me, like probably the most like fascinating moment because there was loads of stuff like on Twitter afterwards saying, you know, oh, I don't think Juice Staley handled that very well, or I'm not sure he's going to respond to that. I mean. First of all, Swift has clearly spent the whole summer in the gym because he's looking absolutely like jacked. But, you know, the, the, the piece of play that the film that they were showing was, you know, he could have gone for the corner. He'd made a nice run. He'd got about seven or eight yards to go, but he let himself be pushed out of bounds without trying to stiff arm the defender. And, you know, it's so kind of basic but it's also very like symptomatic of like, you know, the old Lions mentality. Well, that was a nice run. I've got 15 yards, but I'm not really going to like put, you know, effort in to, to get that extra few yards and, and maybe score a touchdown. So basically Staley was calling them out on it. But if Swift has spent the time in the gym and he's put the weight on, you know, like I said, he looks fantastic. He's got to be able to use that. And if you look at Craig Reynolds, Craig Reynolds must be one of the, the biggest bodied got like running backs like in the NFL. Like, I mean, he's he's maybe not quite AJ Dillon um or um Derrick Henry, but he's a big guy. And when you see Reynolds against the Colts, if he sees a hole in that offensive line, he's absolutely exploding through it. And you kind of want Swift to have the same mentality. And you know, that's why Reynolds has come from off the practice squad out of nowhere and he's now probably our RB3 and he's going to make a roster spot so I think this is what you want from Swift and you know if anyone's going to get it out of him it's going to be Staley and you know this is not a tea party so let's have some like strong firm directive coaching if he can't do something after two years as basic as a stiff arm yeah, I, I, I like the way that Staley's handling this. I, I don't get this whole thing that he's been coached too harsh and that. I think what's nice to see is that they're individually tailoring their coaching to players, depending, you know, like you say, I think Swift needs a bit more of a boot up the arse than others because, you know, 
I don't see him being the guy where when he does something well, you go put your arm and go, oh, yeah, well done, well done. He's not going to learn from that. He's just going to think that's enough. And I think he's the one who needs to keep getting pushed time after time after time. And I, I agree with Juice. I think it's in him, but it's up to him to be able to get through this. But, you know, this is not how they are all the time. I mean, look at Kelvin Shepard with Emrod. You know, you see him, you know, on the pitch, he's barking around. He's doing the same. He's really pushing him and pushing him in the meeting room. He's pushing him, you know, saying, look, you know, you're playing well, but I want these guys to be better. You're not ready. But then when they're on the sidelines together and he says, like, you know, the world's your oyster. This season can be as good as you want it to be. And it's like he's been tough, but by giving the acknowledgement to Malcolm, you know, just one on one per person, Emrod likes that. That's the way you that's the way you manage him. You're tough on him, but let him know that he's getting there. Let him know that he's doing it. It works. That don't work with DeAndre Swift. So it's good to see these coaches with their own unique personalities. They could, they've been players. So I think they get what each kind of player is like and what they need to succeed. Because they'll have seen it a hundred times in their own training camps. They'll have seen players fail because they weren't coached properly. They'll have seen players succeed because they were coached properly. It's the benefit of having all these ex-players in the side. But I trust Juice 100% here in what he's doing so it was intriguing and hopefully for all of us DeAndre does come good this year because if he gets the potential out of him Juice says he can be one of the best running backs in the league he's got the dual threat ability to put himself amongst the elite and that will do wonders for this team not just on the ground game but for Jared Goff getting us in favorable situations moving the chains making the passing game work better you know this team works a lot better with a top-notch DeAndre Swift. So, you know, break him if you need to and get to the point where you force him to be good. That's the way it happens. That's the way it happens. You comments not scared and... to pull him either. Like I said, week one, if Swift, after one quarter, does not look interested, Juice will yank his ass out. And he'll say, do you know what, Craig Reynolds, do you want to go? Do you want to run through a tackle? Jamal, do you want to go? Like I say, and he'll just say, do you know what, Swift, take your pads off. You're not interested. He's not there to mollycoddle him. He ain't his dad. He's got to struggle for a spot because, like you say, you've got Jamal to take the first loads there. Jamal will come down as third down back as pass protection because his pass protection has gone through the roof. He could very well find himself out of a job because the depth behind him will make it hard for him to get back in. So I agree. Be, be tough. Lots of comments coming in from the chat on this subject. Cooldown Rat says... Deuce wants his running backs hitting the holes inside if that's his best option. Reynolds does it. Jefferson missed one against the Colts. Dan replied saying it feels like Swift knows it could hurt more going inside versus outside. Nash is talking about the fact that Swift kind of looks scared to make that move. Um, And that, you know, Dan wouldn't really like to go inside either so he can appreciate that. Um, I don't know whether it's... I don't know whether it's that he's scared to do it, but it's just that he's been... A guy who I think has viewed himself as an elusive back. If you want to put someone in a box, he thinks he's an elusive back and that he's meant to go around people rather than through them. The offseason proves that he knows that his mentality needs to change. But now, the mental part of it actually needs to happen. And if it doesn't, as we've all just discussed, it could be a long season for him. Um, moving on on this episode... It doesn't work because offensive lines... Hmm. All lines are built to make a hole. The players, Dreondre, run through the fucking hole. Like I said, don't bounce out and try and make a play outside if there's a hole there because the offensive line then are just pointless. So he needs, he can't 
do his own thing. I know he wants to, but if he wants to do it, if he wants to do his own thing, but then request a trade, go somewhere else because we're going to make you run through the O line. I feel like his ego may have got blown up early, you know, because we've not had a running back in so long and there was so much hype about him when he arrived and the bits we saw, you know, and everyone's singing his praises. Oh, this could be finally the guy who does it. I wonder if it's kind of just been a bit of a reality check that, you know, with that sort of praise becomes that sort of responsibility. You have to be the back who puts this team on your back and runs us through tackle, runs us through hard situations to win us games. And I don't think he was ready to deal with that. And now it's a case of, right, well, you want that praise back, you've got to go out and get it. 100%. Um, moving on in the episode, Hutch is letting Brad Holmes sleep easy at night, which is good for our general manager at this point. I think already assured that the number two pick overall at this point was well spent. Uh, but the chip that Amon Rasen Brown has on his shoulder seems to be, if nothing else, getting bigger. Compared to last year, now can name all of the 16 wide receivers taken before him, name and college, and it is a kind of him versus the world mentality. Uh, saw him on the jugs machine catching his 202 balls, and he just looks more sculpted than ever. It's um amazing to me that, you know, he broke those two rookie records in receptions and yards, that he kind of blew everyone away. He was almost the consensus value pick of the draft last year. And yet the guy is still just hurting from you know, being taken as low as he did, you can see that there's no less up in his mentality, his effort, and nothing to suggest that there should be any reduction in, in execution from him this year. He's he's tried and tested so much, way beyond potentially some, you know, five-year vets out there in terms of how many balls he's caught in his life, that I'm assured by this. I think he's going to be a massive part of their offense, regardless of the upgrades we've made at wide receiver, boys. If there's one, sorry, Grant. I think I think he will get less targets by doping killers. It won't affect his yardage at all. If anything, he may get he might get more yards and less touches because people will people will forget about him. Defenses will forget about him when Williams and Chark on the outside are like, oh, we don't have to worry about Amon Ra anymore. They're not the he's not the deep threat, and that will play right into his hands. And I love the fact he literally just named all sixteen receivers. I could have a go at it right now. I can remember most of them, but he was like that. He didn't have to think about it. He has memorized it. Now, that's a good thing and a bad thing. I don't want that to be his motivation forever. I think at some point I want him to forget it and go move on from it and look bigger. But right now, it still pisses him off, I'd say. But at some point, I'd like him to just be like, do you know what? They were taken before me. I proved they shouldn't have been, so now I'm going to have bigger aspirations. And you're right, yeah. The 202, I love the fact that he said that they're his friend's motivation, like say that's a special number to him. Like it means a lot. And like I said, it, it takes time. Like I said, that must sting your hands. 200, 70 mile an hour jug machine, like you say. His hands must be like calloused granite by now. And I just love it. He works so hard. And you know what? I love his dad. You saw John St. Brown in the ground again. He's got a new top now because Equinemius is a Chicago bear. He's now got half bears, half lions jersey. It did make me want to vomit, yeah. But who wouldn't love a dad like him? Like I say, three I brothers. Was, I didn't think it was quite as repulsive as the half and half Packers Lions one, but it was still fucking bad. Yeah, they look bad, <laughs> but yeah. Any, any NFL player would love to strive to have a father like him. He's pushed him his whole goddamn life, and he'll continue to push him until the day he dies. But he's, we're going to get the best out of him. I agree with you, Ryan, in that like we don't want 
we don't want a Lions player doing like an Aaron Rodgers and still fucking crying about his draft position like 10 years later. Like, that's not what we want. So, yeah, I completely agree. He needs to use it as motivation, but at some point we need to, like, move on. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I love this. I think if there's one player who you would just 100% be comfortable with saying out loud that you know they won't regress year two, it's him. Because you've just seen how driven and how focused he is. I mean, you know, he he lists all the guys above him. He wants to be better than every single one of those guys above him. And I'd argue that there's probably only two or three of those guys above him who are better than him right now, possibly. That's how many he's already overtaken. But, you know, you can see the attitude that he gets from his dad. His dad was what? Mr. Universe. He didn't get to be Mr. Universe by bit two time Mr. Universe. Yeah. He didn't get to be Mr. Universe by finishing second or third or fourth, or fifth, he got there by being the very best. And you can see that's the attitude that's ingrained in his sons. But what makes you even more hopeful about Amon Ra? It's not just the dad's training. Because look at Equinemius. Equinemius has bombed in the NFL. And he gets the same thing every single day. There's only so much that his dad, even despite what he does training-wise, can give you. You've got to have that little extra. You've got to have that mental edge. You've got to have that will and desire, that top-tier level to succeed. And Amon Ra has it, and Equinemius doesn't. That's what makes you really excited. He's taking that drive from his dad with his own mental strength, and he's becoming the complete player. And that just makes you so excited as a Lions fan. He's just got everything you want. And, you know, he will push himself harder and harder and harder. And just when you think he's become as good as he can be, he will get better. And that's that's just what you want as a player. So I loved it. And I love the fact that his dad sits in the stands with all the regular fans. You know, it, there's, there's no privilege or anything there. It's hard work, it's grit, and it's determination. You know, even now, as old as he is, you know, when he could be enjoying his little pleasures in life, having a box, having some champagne, whatever. Now, he's still down there right by the sidelines, willing his son on to do well. And even the other players. So it's just, it's infectious watching that family. It's just, it's a breath of fresh air. It was very was obvious to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were, they were putting that. They were like, putting that differentiation like out there, weren't they? I don't want to see him. I don't want to keep seeing them in hard knocks. I don't like them. I want to see his dad. Like, yeah, his dad. His dad, his dad, his dad, dad looks just so annoyed. He's trying to watch football. They're chatting shit. Mum doesn't even know how to tackle for losses. For Christ's sake! I hope they do a section on him and his days back at Michigan. You know, because you know, there's something in there. You can see the family between him and his son. But yeah, you don't want to see the rest of them. Yeah, the, the, the thing about Amon Ra that was obvious to me is that when they described the chip on his shoulder, it was Amon Ra and Brown versus the world. And when you're talking about grit, you're talking about the core foundation and the sort of the culture that this team is trying to build and that it's Detroit versus everybody. The similarities between his meaning, his why, and Detroit's why were so similar. I thought that was really well kind of aligned in what they were doing it's clear for me that Amon Ra is kind of the emblem player for what they're trying to build here and I think they were trying to show that so that was really cool I love John Brown calling out Kevin Durant saying when was the last time you did a car phrase I think I think that could be pointed at some other guys who have Achilles problems here or ACLs so yeah maybe John Brown could just be hired the athletics trainer of the Lions that would be interesting um <laughs> well, his sons are very rarely injured Equinemius has got a decent you know, history of not been hurt too much, so not that it's helped his career, but there we go. Uh <laughs> it's just he's just got that it factor and you can see it. 
I I love that they did it because it just shows you that Amonrar is is that much better. You know, it, it's got something that even his dad can't teach him. He's just got that final that final level to him, which is going to get him to real greatness. David Reinfurt says that the half and half. Um, Bears Lions jersey is much worse than the Packers Lions jersey. He says, I live in Chicago and have to deal with the Bears fans, and I can tell you they are way worse than the Green Bay fans. That as it may be, but for me, Green Bay will always be the enemy. Um, like a clothing version of Two Face, isn't it? It's like one face is like a normal human being, and that, and the other is just this scarred, repugnant side that looks awful. Obviously, that's the Bears side. To be fair, if you, if you own a half and half football scarf in the UK, you can get in the bin too. Oh, yeah, that would that would get you disowned here. Yeah. That would get you disowned. You cannot do it. One Pride Forty says, "Have John Brown train Levi." Hundred uh, percent. David Reinfurt went on to say, "I also think that Detroit, Chicago, are rival sports cities in general, but Wisconsin is not really a rival with Michigan teams." Which I guess I will defer to your own local knowledge on that. Ash says. Uh, about what Ryan was saying about the Hutchinsons. So now's not the time to tell Ryan about my plan to marry Mia Hutchinson and get free tickets for the box for his life. Um, yeah. Good luck. There's Ash, more chance of Jordan Travis getting picked in the draft next year. Sorry, Ash. Which one's Mia? The blonde one or the blonder one? <laughs> that's how I, that's the only way you can differentiate between them. Aria and Mia, isn't there? I There's think. more chance of Aston Villa getting a ninth place finish in the Premier League. I mean, that's, I think that's a fairly good chance. So, But anyway, let's move on no, and finish not. this thing. <laughs> um, Aaron Glenn was channeling you, Ant, talking about the line in the sand and drawing the line in the sand. At the end of the day, you've got to try and try. You've got to start expecting to win when you walk on the field, not because you're arrogant about it, but because you're walking on there expecting to pummel your opponent into the ground and you go and you execute. I thought that was a really interesting mindset adjustment that they're clearly trying to perform there. Um, you saw them now start to build the kind of relationship angle between Blau and Blau's wife, Melissa, the Olympic runner. Um, I kind of felt like that was a bit cruel, that they were building up the relationship almost to kind of show Blau failing in, in the preseason game to kind of make you feel that sort of pang of... Um, empathy you know to feel sorry for both of them because you know she went specifically to watch that game and and he ended up costing them it and then you go into the meeting and dan's talking about the one thing which is gonna piss him off man and just getting so worked up for about 10 seconds to the point where he kind of goes i'm okay i'm all right and jamal's just losing his shit um but but it would it's a thing that would annoy me too and i've seen other teams do this through the years that i've been following the game it annoys the hell out of me that in preseason games when you've got presumably friends on the team trying their heart out to make the 53 but because they're a starter they're larking about on the sidelines not giving a shit about what's going on on the field and then their guy makes a mistake, they miss it because they're not watching the game. Then that guy gets cut the next day and it's like, oh, bye friend, I didn't really care about you because my actions spoke louder than my words. And Campbell's out there saying everyone on this team deserves respect. And it's everything I want in a coach. I've waited for this for 15 years. It's everything I've wanted in a head coach that from the top and it trickles down, everyone in there matters from, not, from 1 to 90. I just want to say, a conspiracy theorist might say that David Blau was given a bung to snap to fumble that snap in that game 
just to make a compelling hard nut storyline. But that's what a conspiracy theorist would say, not me. Going back to that, I've been on sidelines at games and I've seen someone get hurt and I've seen a coach call for a running back. And were there any running backs there? Were they ready? Were they fucked? They were pissing about. So I ran on. Or like say a position, just like no one's ready. Like, like I just ran on. Like say, just go fucking someone be ready. And that's what Dan Campbell says. Like say, if a tight end isn't there and no one's ready, no one's ready to go, fucking throw all line that steps up, throw him on. He'll just put you in there. So make sure you're fucking ready to play. Yeah, like that's that. It. that goes for all times as well. I like that story when he said he were at Dallas. And it's like, I can't remember who the guy was there with him. Which Jason says, oh, Witten yeah. Jason says, on. yeah, there's no way Witten's going back in there, so I've got to go and do it. <laughs> I found that funny. Um, that fan man says, isn't she literally Miss Michigan? Um, I, I think that was Aria as opposed to Mia, but there we go. One Prime 40 says, I will say Mia is very hot, but you have more chance of Justin Fields being a hit than getting with her. Ouch. Jesus. Ow. Ow. No offense. Ow. No offense. They've not seen Ash Soden. <laughs> no offense to being Miss, being Miss Michigan sounds like it could be like Miss Milton Keynes. It, it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> you mess your hands out there. You, you probably don't realize it yet, but that, that is meant to be an insult. Why are you shitting on I me, I hope Ryan? the Hutchinsons aren't watching this. <laughs> I hope they are. Oh, let's move swiftly on. Um, they were starting to build up Detroit as a city, the motor car staff and the, you know, the grit, the determination that the city have as a people, all the kind of monuments and the graffiti and what have you, which I thought was quite inspirational for a couple of minutes. And then the game happened and you had Campbell at the end just talking about the why they lost. The little things, nothing big happened in that game, which went really badly wrong. Just the little things here and there and that. He wasn't David trying to Blair, be a David Blair fumbling in the yeah. critical moment. But he said he wasn't trying to be a turd, but it's just a dose of reality. You've got to take your chances when you're out there, especially when that could be a season in your hands right there. You could make the roster or not, depending on what goes on there. And then finally, the episode wrapped up in the credits with Bo, Hank Fraley's son, being an absolute legend, just taking the piss out of all the players. And they were trying to trash his trash-talking game. But I think he was better than most of the players out there in that. I tell you what, there's one thing. I, as a six foot four, like two hundred eighty pound guy, I am not trash talking Frank Ragnow. You can forget that. I don't want him turning round and like fucking spearing me into the ground. No chance. That kid's brave. Hmm. All right. If there's no more comments on that, we'll move it on to the game. So preseason game two, Lions. At the Colts following those joint practices, winning 27-26 after surviving a late two-point attempt by the Colts to win the game with 36 seconds left. Very few starters uh, suited up at all for this one. Um, we'll go through position by position, boys, I think, because it's going to be a bit easier to kind of talk about what we liked and didn't like from from each group. But are there any kind of high-level takeaways you thought about the game in general in terms of the game on its merits itself? So whether that's the interception that was thrown or whether it was the couple of touchdowns that we had through the air or, or on the ground, what what were your kind of high-level thoughts on this one? I think for me, the, the thing that stood out was the improvement on the second team O-line compared to against the Falcons. So 
against the Falcons, when we had our first team on the field, they looked awesome and they absolutely knocked the Falcons' defensive line sideways. Um, and then the second team came on and it was penalties and missed blocks. Whatever they've been doing in practice this week has absolutely made a difference because it, it just seemed a completely different like unit. There was some really good blocking. They were punching holes for you know Reynolds, uh, Jackson as well. I thought Jackson played really well, um, and he he definitely uh, like has come on. So for me, that was like the biggest like bonus getting the run running game going. And against the Colts, I mean the Colts are a team. Yeah, it wasn't against their first um, string, but the Colts traditionally are get are you know tough on defense, tough against the run, and we absolutely you know blew them apart for quite big chunks of the game. Oh, I don't know about that old line. I I would still package Skipper Nelson and Lamb and send them to the Bears for a twenty twenty nine seventh round conditional pick. I think that's where I'm at with those three. I've just, yeah, I don't oh, have it any was, faith in it. It was better. It was better. It was better. It was better. But the interior is where it was really good. My guy Logan is turning out really good. Kramer, how the hell he was an undrafted free agent, I will never know. Evan Brown, his usual reliable self, you know, that interior of that second line was getting some real good push on the rush and that. But I think the, the overarching take for me was the mentality side of this we won this week we just lost last week we lost to Ridder rolling out the pocket launching in a you know an unrealistic shot into the box and scoring when you know when he rolled out on that two-point play it looked exactly like Ridder last week I thought oh god here we go again he's going to toss it in two points we're going to lose no we pressured him we hassled him we got him to airball it and it went out just little things like that the mentality change you know that desire to win it was just it was just a little bit more urgent this week and I think that was for me the big thing it was the mentality of this team they fought against a team who was very good and has very good depth Sam Erlinger's a lot better than our depth quarterbacks there you know you've got a lot of issues to deal with with this team and yeah we had some big busted plays and that but we came back from them you know we kept biting away we kept scoring points we scored points regularly and I really enjoyed that from this team. And for me, specific certain players are really starting to make their case for this team. Now, we are starting to see the cream rise into this 53. And that, for me, is big. You want your preseason to see the individuals who want to be here long term. And, you know, we'll talk about the players in a minute, I guess. But there are a few who have really impressed me and gone from my I don't care list to I suddenly care list now. And that's what you want in preseason. So the mentality was there. The player development was there. And just that little bit at the end where we got ourselves over the line, that's bloody critical. I just love that our run defense stood up once again. I mean, when you see that a team as good as the Colts, even on their backup offensive line and their backup running backs, only that we held them, or we forced, sorry, I should say, three three and outs through the game which you know this was a defense that couldn't get anyone off the field last year they also had two other punts from five play drives i mean that's that's exceptionally good and you know we did obviously give up a couple of touchdowns here and there but overall i thought that the the pressure pass rush and and run defense was exceptional all the way through the game i i don't know what the third down 
percentage was like, but I still feel like that was a little too high for my, especially that first drive. I felt like we had them a few times and we let them get out of it. So that is still a little bit of a concern for me that the third downs, we, we've, we've struggled with that. So again, these are the backups in, but, you know, same issues, kind of want to see that. I, I do want to see more three and outs, or at least us you know, getting home on some of these three and longs because there's still too many getting converted. But I do agree with you yeah. for the most part that the interior looked good. Demetrius Taylor looked good. Kaminsky looked pretty decent. You know, that we, I think I critiqued the D-line depth week one. That D-line depth looked a lot better this week, especially when Taylor got in the game earlier. I mean, there were one where it was Taylor, Gilbert, and, oh God, who was the other one? There were three of them who got to the running back in the backfield and just basically three-way Alabama slammed him, you know, and, you know, that's what you want to see. You want to see those guys getting in there and doing it. And it, it was, oh, it was Bryant. Sorry, it was Austin Bryant. It were, you know, um, yeah. yeah. So it was those three. They absolutely wrecked him. So that was better. Well, this stats, um, Indianapolis had 18 carries for 30 yards, averaging just 1.7, and their longest run was five. That's impressive. Yeah. It's really impressive. No, Arthur... Phil Lindsay as well. Phil, it's not like you know, complete unknown second string. I mean, Phil Lindsay was the starter for the Broncos a couple of seasons mm. ago. And was very good doing it too. They were 7 of 13. We were 10 of 17 on third down. So their percentage was just above 50. Ours slightly higher than that. So for all the bad stuff there, it wasn't quite so bad. They didn't have a rushing first down. We had as I many feel rushing like... first downs as they had passing first downs. I feel like you know, those averages would shift like between first half and second. I think we got a lot better with it as the game went on. I think if we did like first quarter or something, it might have been bad. But, you know, it, it, it's irrelevant, you know. I still think there's a few bits there. But, yeah, it was a lot better. You know, we complained last week about the D-line. D-line did a lot better this week. So, you know, that's all, that's all you can ask for, really. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be a struggle now for some of these guys. Like I say, we, we're going to be upset by some of these cuts. Maybe not this week, but certainly next week. I'm I'm actually dreading it in some ways because I think you know there's some people who I've really begun to like who might not be here. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, let's go through position by position just to break this down a little bit more. Starting off on the offense with the quarterbacks, uh, we had David Blau the starter for the first half, and then Tim Boyle relieved him for the second half. Uh, Boyle. Sorry, Blau started off 16 of 22, but only for 76 yards, a measly six yards per, not six yards, less than five yards per completion. One touchdown and an interception also took a sack. Um, I know, Steve, you took particular exception to the interception. I, I think, um, I kind of think, <laughs> yeah, because there were people in the in the Twitch chat and the YouTube chat who were saying, like it wasn't Blair's fault. But when you're throwing into the middle, you can't throw into like a sea of hands. And where Blair placed the ball, like it was basically head height and it was just going to get tipped because the distance of the throw must have been five or six yards. Um, for me, he had to throw that low where only the receiver could catch it. And if it did get someone get a hand on it, it was just going to hit the ground for an incompletion and not get tipped up in the air. So for me, and it, you know, it throws down the middle like that. Like surely he had a better option. I mean, I've not seen the all twenty-two film, but you know, it it just seemed like just throw it away, but just don't 
try and throw the ball six yards straight down the middle of the field into a sea of players and then be surprised when something bad happens. I'll just say something quick here. I think, one, both of the quarterbacks looked like they knew their time in this team is numbered. They looked like they were playing like, oh, God, there's this actual sense of urgency here because they did both do better than week one. But I think for me, number two, if you swap these two guys' stat lines over, Boyle would be getting crucified. Blau would be getting louded. But because Boyle's done the better of the two this week, Blau's still getting defended and Boyle's still getting criticised. And Boyle, I'm sorry, looked a lot better this week. Looked miles better than David Blau. But you're seeing the inherent bias of some Lions fans here towards David Blau. I don't get it. You know, this is this is the reason why he's not got into this team. Short yardage passes. He snap. You know, he botched a snap again. Messed up a drive because of that. You know, through an interception. If Boyle was doing that, we'd be carrying him out of Detroit and telling him to get lost. But because it's Blau, for some reason, people are sticking with it. We need another quarterback option. And I hope some hope to God that some team cuts a guy soon who interests them enough to get him. But I feel Boyle I feel Boyle's been really hard done to here because like I say, you switch those stat lines, Blau's getting louder to hell. See. I have to agree. Do you know what? I've never been Boyle's biggest fan, but Blau, Blau plays scared. Blau sees a shot or someone downfield. Does he take it? Nope, because he's too worried. He is playing with doubt. He's a much better rusher, but that's not what we need. Like I say, he's more elusive. He's better with his feet, which is fine. He can extend plays with his feet, but when it comes to what a QB is paid to do, he shies away from taking shots. He will see someone up and downfield and he'll take a check down. He will go of that six, seven yard because he's too scared about throwing an interception and getting pulled. So, unfortunately, that will be why we're only going to carry two QBs this year. I don't know which one it is, but I do not want to carry three because I just do not see the relevance of what it offers us. From what I've seen, there's so many skill positions we've got elite talent at right now. I said, let's give an, an extra running back, an extra wide receiver. I think it was the biggest indictment on this quarterback class that we have that Jack Cohn came in for the Colts as quarterback four and looked competent, like looked as good as Boyle, I would have said. Just came in, executed the offense exceptionally well without being particularly flashy. And I know that you boys in the draft process were very down on him as a prospect out of Notre Dame. I think he was drafted in the sixth this year, but we were kind of tipping him to potentially go undrafted. And he kind of comes into that offense and just looks good. I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's just Ellinger looks like he could push for more time. You know, that Foles came in and did very well, but Ellinger looked great. Yeah, Yeah. If he gets caught, you put first claim in for him. Because I don't, you know, you're not going to pay Foles that money to cut him again. So, you know, if Ellinger goes, put the bid in straight away. Give him a go. He can't do any worse at this point. Well, yeah, Blau's thrown 16 passes out of 22 um, attempts for an average of 3.5 yards. I mean, like, you know, he's a lovely guy. On hard knocks, his wife, absolutely lovely. Lovely people, but he shouldn't be anywhere near our roster. No. No. They're irrelevant, aren't they? I don't and, care and, and, how nice he is. Don't yeah. care how nice she is. I just and it's it's bye. not just 
Yeah, it's not just Blau either. We'll probably talk about the other guy in a minute, but there are certain fascinations with a player, I think, based more on the underdog story than the talent. I saw someone tweet this out, and like, sometimes Lions fans have an affinity to an underdog story and not to talent. And I think Blau is an example of that. And I think there's a few others around, and hopefully the hard decisions are made and they're caught. I mean, so Ash has just said in the chat, to be fair, the Colts set up to allow short passes and to limit the big plays, so to judge them purely off that game is a little bit harsh. But it ain't just about that game, and it never has been just about that game. He has consistently done that through his career, and if the Colts were consistent in trying to allow the short passes and not allow anything deep, why did Boyle throw eight and a half yards per reception versus three and a half for Blau? Like, Boyle consistently got more done. And... I was, you know, you guys know my philosophy on backup quarterbacks. So it won't surprise you to know that I still want to keep Blau because it ain't about how good either are. But if I am going to talk about how good either were in the game, it was very clear that Boyle was the better quarterback. Clear as day. So there we go. Right, let's move on to the running backs. It did follow a very specific pattern, which I think is quite indicative of where they are on the depth chart right now. But it was it was uh, kind of given seven apiece all the way through, started off with Craig Reynolds, moved on to Jermar Jefferson, then, um, I can never remember Jackson's first name. Um, Frank. Is it Frank? No. Jay. Justin. Justin, Justin. Jackson. Justin Jackson. Frank Frank Jackson. That's what we should call him. That's his nickname from now on. Yeah, Frank. Frank. If you've got a problem, talk to Frank. Um, and then Godwin finished it off. Shut up, Steve. <laughs> um I think the the big thing for me to start with was against that kind of hardest of the teams that any of those guys had to face, that Reynolds came in and just looked like he was absolutely destroying everyone in his path. Like he was consistently being met at the line or just, just beyond the line of scrimmage and consistently got three or four yards after contact if he wasn't hitting the holes which had been created for him too. So he either created the yardage or he just saw gap and hit gap. It was a really good performance from him, especially. I'm going to do a, a Ryan McCluskey now, and I'm going to say exactly what I think. Justin Jackson has shown in two games more than most of our RB room. Craig Reynolds is, has absolutely cemented himself as our RB3. I think it's time for Godwin and Jamar Jefferson, sadly, to leave the roster because... Those two are clearly better. Like, and uh, you know, and, and Jackson's only been here five minutes. And would you care to comment on these rumors? No, because you know, me and me and Steve have an unbreakable bond, and sometimes you know we've just got to, you know, we we have to sincerely disagree with one another, and then that's fine. You know, we allow each other to hold different views. So, I will say I respectfully disagree. You know. I think, again, I say this, the, the hit on Jamar, you know, obviously he's, he's not done great rushing here. But again, like I said last week, you've got to look on the, the entirety of his game. You know, I know the rushing hasn't been great so far, but the pass protection has been miles better. He's probably our best pass protecting running back at the minute. You can't get rid of him. DeAndre struggles with it. Jamal, you saw during the week in those clips, struggles with it. Reynolds don't do particularly well. You need a third down back to come in and be able to protect the quarterback. And I think that at the minute gets Jamar on this team while he figures out his struggles on the run. But again, he didn't really get a whole great deal to work with. I mean, you know, Reynolds, 
you know, Reynolds made made opportunities out of nothing. You know, and I know Jamal has some work to do, but I like the running back room just as it is. I think they all offer something there for you that you know you need in certain situations. Swift, Jamal, Reynolds, and Jefferson. I, th- I think that's a good running back room, and you know Jackson's done all right, but he doesn't do the special teams. You know, you kind of want that from your running back four, and you know, I just, I don't, I just disagree respectfully. Godwin. Just, just cut him tomorrow. He, he, we don't even need him. Literally, Maurice Alexander did more on special teams than Godwin's done in his whole Lions career. I pray to God we keep Maurice because he has got. He could be a game changer on special teams. He makes Godwin look slow as shit. Justin broke off a big run and then fumbled, bodged a snap off. So for me, he did all his hard work in one snap. Now I'm very wary about Justin. Jamar, yeah, picked up some good blocks. Like I said, he tried to run for a tackle. So it was real tough sledding for Jamar. Like you said, he tried. He ran through the right hole. Just kept getting met with a brick wall. And he kept getting met in the backfield as well. Like I said, the holes that Reynolds had, Jamar didn't get, unfortunately. Reynolds looked very competent. Reynolds hit hole, saw hole, went through hole. And we were never behind the chains on that drive. So very happy. But yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah. Justin, I don't know if I made the team, but Godwin. I just he's outstayed his welcome. Yeah, hundred percent agree on Godwin, and I'd be happy to carry the others through another week just to see what happens in preseason game three. To be honest, because it is coming down to the wire for these guys, and you know, out of Reynolds, Jefferson, and Jackson, they're fighting for two spots for me. And when Kabinda comes back, it might be one spot. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Right, moving on to the who's Kabinda? Sorry, who's Kabinda? Don't know. Don't know who he is. The pod. Hmm. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Jason Cabinda. All right. Um, why do the free agent? Oh, don't. Don't even do it to me, man. <laughs> um, Ryan with the dagger. Yeah. Yeah. I felt that. It cut me deep. Um, wide receivers in the game, we had Khalif Raymond, Trinity Benson, Tom Kennedy, or Mr. Kennedy. Um, <laughs> I had to do it again. Maurice Alexander talked about him as a wide receiver for this point, and Khalil Pimpleton. Um, looking at the stats for the receiving on the wide receivers, it was pretty encouraging actually across the boards. We didn't have a huge amount of yards in the game, and that was a, a kind of symptom, as Ash pointed out, of the Colts defense and what they were giving us. But Benson managed to catch four or five for forty-four. Uh, Kennedy didn't have much in terms of yards, 24 only, but 5 of 7 and those two touchdowns. I wanted to see more from Pimpleton, and we it's not really breaking for him right now. And, you know, he's got a long way to go to make that roster, and sometimes you've got to get a bit of the rub of the green, and it just doesn't really seem to be happening for him right now. But you can see the talent, and that's the really frustrating thing for me. Kennedy's catch... In the corner of the end zone, the first one, as time expired in the first half, I love it. Just straight over the cornerback's head, plucking, plucking it out of the air. And Blau, putting it where only his guy can get it, pretty much. You know, it couldn't be much higher and it'd be out of reach. So, good stuff all round, I think, by the by the wide receivers generally. Apart from, you know, just feel bad for Pimbleton not really getting a shot. I was gutted he dropped the one in the end zone. It was... It was... And they said the guy got his hand in the way to catch it, but it wasn't. He bounced off his face mask. 
And I was, if he'd have got that, his stock would have gone through the roof. And I'm good for him as well. This Maurice Alexander coming in is a big problem for him now because Pimpleton's way onto the roster was returning. And if Alexander's going to come in and return like that, then that puts a big hole in his way there. So, you know, I love the competition I'm seeing. These guys are fighting because they all know there's positions there to be won. And, you know, this is one of the positions we said, we're probably going to make cuts where it's going to hurt. And I think we are going to make cuts where it's going to hurt just because of how these guys are performing. But, you know, I'm just going to get it out of the way here. Um, and I'm going to say this quite definitively, Tom Kennedy should still not be anywhere near this Detroit Lions team if we want to be good going forward. I'm fed up. I know I say preseason's there for the guys to show out and earn a place in this squad, but we've seen history here. You know, Ryan said earlier about the definition of insanity and stuff like that. You know, it's trying to do it again. He had a good preseason last year. He did well. What did he do in the actual season? Nothing. Didn't force his way onto the squad when we were barren of receivers and struggled. I'm not doing this again. And I'm seeing people, oh, well, well if he gets in, let's cut Quintus Cephas. Cephas is two years younger and has actually made plays against NFL-caliber defensive backs. And you're telling me you're going to cut him just because Tom Kennedy makes a few nice catches in preseason? No, I'm so sorry. Much better. Exactly. Is so much this is better. where the underdog story over actual talent issue comes in, and people are taking the underdog story. Oh, he's going to make it off our practice squad for so many years, and he's going to break out and be big. Let's get rid of Cephas. No, you're, you're suspending disbelief. You're suspending facts there, disbelief. And it's not happening. You do not cut Cephas, who is two years younger and has done it at the NFL level for a preseason warrior like Kennedy. I'm sorry, it's harsh, but I'm at the point where I want this Detroit Lions team to win. And we win by taking the strongest receiving core and we can. And that includes the likes of Cephas and Raymond over him. Because I've seen people say cut Raymond for Kennedy. Well, screw that. You can consider Pimpleton popped. Warm flannel on, cut his ass by Tuesday. Pimpleton's done on the Lions. Alexander, he ain't beating him out of special teams. Trinity Benson, actually shown flashes. Pimpleton, basically dropped a touchdown. He's small, he's lightweight. He ain't putting meat on that frame. He is not going to be a Detroit Lion. He ain't good enough to be the pros. Tom Kennedy, I agree. Oh, he's Blau's best friend. Oh, that's great in preseason, but tugging each other off. I don't care. Like I say, the, no, he's not an NFL player. Do you know what? Keep him on the practice squad. Put him on the 53, but it shows how he's not seeing the field because he just can't do it against the ones, and he never has done, and he never will. So, I mean, I'm not going to rule out him never doing it in the league. I think that he can do it in the league, but I think that people have to take him with a pinch of salt and realise that if he gets an opportunity, it's through injury, basically. The guy's going to be given a chance through injury somewhere in the NFL, and if he grabs it with two hands and starts doing it against that opposition, he'll get more opportunities, but right now you can't trust him to do it against that calibre of opposition. That's just the harsh truth for Tom Kennedy. And, you know, he... He... At the moment, for me, is like the world's greatest pre um, practice squad wide receiver. Like, if he's the first guy up after someone goes down, he's going to come in. You're going to ask him to do a job, X, Y, or Z. He's going to execute, and he could do it. He can perform anywhere in that wide receiver core. He's, he's versatile. He's going to run the route you ask him to run. He's going to create a little bit of separation here and there. He, I, I said it on the live stream for the game yesterday, but he is... He reminds me so much of Danny Amendola. Like, just nothing remarkable about him at all, but just does seem to get it done. And I think he will be a success. 
But I still think the players that we have here are better than him in pretty much most facets. Kennedy is our Scott McTominay. So Scott McTominay was, you know, a nice little story. Oh, he's played a League Cup match. Didn't he do well? Oh, he's, he's done well in the Cup. Oh, he did well in pre-season. And then you put him against top-class opponents in the Premier League and you realise he's completely out of his depth. Um, so, nice story, but, you know, anyone that says that he is, should be on the roster instead of Cephas is absolutely mental. In baseball terms, he's like your star AAA guy who, when you send up to the major leagues, just gets knocked around by people who are far too good for him and can't deal with the step-up in quality. And I know this sounds really harsh, and I don't want to be, but you know, I want this Lions team to win, and I've, I've been too almost player-friendly for years now, tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. Sorry, now it's got to get brutal with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, Ash has made a great comparison saying Tom Kennedy is seeming, seemingly the new TJ Jones. Good in the preseason, but never good enough to actually break into a starting role. I remember number 13 being on this mm. team and being really, really good in the preseason too. I That's a really, really good comparison. Uh, David Reinfurt's in disbelief about what we've just been talking about, saying wow. And uh, he threw a touchdown last season. Some Brown never threw a touchdown, which I love the kind of glib there. That's, that's good fun. Um, Dan says, Tom caught touchdowns from Blau and Boyle either side of the half. It's true. The chemistry is there with either receiver. He seems to be an easy guy to kind of predict. And I think it comes back to what I was saying about the fact that he's just going to run the route you've asked him to run. He's going to be where you expect him to be. And that's valuable. And that's why he's your best practice squad wide receiver. Because he's going to come in and do any role you ask him to. So he has value. It's just not in that 53, unfortunately. Let's move on to... Tight ends, couple of they've got tight ends and then offensive lines to round out the offense and we'll run through the defense as well. Tight ends, right the starter, followed quickly by Zilstra, and then we saw a smattering of Derek Dees Jr. and James Mitchell to close out the game. Uh right, I didn't see anything remarkable from him to start off with, but obviously we proceeded down the field in that first drive and I didn't notice any whiffs from him, so I thought that was pretty promising. Then Zilstra really showed out in his session there he uh put down some good blocks he had some really good catches in there i think that he's still making the most of his push cheers to ryan for putting in a massive shift today he's off so right. cheers man see you soon and, guys bye take it easy and then james mitchell came in and had an absolutely cracking stint too he was laying down some really good blocks and i thought for a guy where that's going to be the biggest question for him coming into the season i know that and, and Ryan have both said that he's got it in him. He just needs to learn a bit of technique. But the receiving ability is there. He was showing that he can do the other facet of his game, which is really encouraging. And then the highest rated of all of them per PFF was Derek Dees. An 81.2 grade was good for fourth overall on the team. He played uh, 25, no, sorry, I can't count, 14 offensive snaps. And he got it done. Um so, you know, it's one of those quite interesting ones where the, the whole group kind of had a good day, boys. Zilstra is starting to conflict me because I thought I knew what I wanted my tight end room to be. And I, I still want it to be, I still want Mitchell in there. And like you say, you know, me and Ryan, we, again, this is another one with one of the late round picks. He had a bad injury last year. That's why he fell in the draft. He didn't, he wasn't a fifth round pick. He was better than that. 
the blocking just needs a little bit of technique in it. And as you can see, it's worked. He's blocking. He came out. He's just come back off major injury. He's blocking well. He's receiving well. You know, got a couple of good catches in there. This is exactly what we got from him. So those people saying, oh, he's going to come back. He's not going to get in this team. It's, it's again, we watch these guys in college. We see what they do. We see what they're capable of. And, you know, then they're showing it. But Zilstra, I'm like, I almost don't want to cut him now. But I want Wright in because I think Wright earned his stripes last year. But I do kind of want Zilstra in, but we're not going to carry four tight ends. And I feel like someone's going to snag Zilstra up if we let him go. And, you know, and the player himself, he shattered his kneecap at the end of last year. He had a really bad injury, Shane Zilstra did. He's come back from that and he's performing. And it's like, damn, that's kind of the player I want on my side. You know, big injury, but came back from it and he's balling out and I am very loath to let him go so you know if, if nothing's better there they're at wide, wide receiver or D-line or whatever then you know that's where my quarterback three spot that I don't have is going it's going to him but I'm conflicted with him now he's really showing out I think the, the tight end um, two and three are going to probably be one of the hardest decisions for the coaches when they're cutting down the roster I think that's going to go to the wire and I think it'll probably depend on who does best next week. That's you know because I think they're they're all fairly evenly matched at the moment. I mean, I fully expected these to get cut in this round of cuts until this game, and then I think he he kind of performed well enough that I'd like to see the cut come from elsewhere. And to be honest, I think the PUP will get utilised in this round to the point where we may not actually have to cut anyone who isn't injured at this point. So. It'll be interesting to see who does make it. If all of them make it, it's going to make Game 3 so interesting for these guys. It's the room that has the most room for movement. And you wouldn't have said that coming into this process because you'd have just assumed that Wright and Mitchell had it sewn up by virtue of one being the incumbent tight end two who is improving and one being the draft pick. But it hasn't worked out that way, which is really, really good. Let's finish out the off uh, with the offense with the offensive line. Started out with Dan Skipper, Logan Stenberg, Evan Brown, Tommy Kramer, and Matt Nelson. And then in relief, we had Lamb, Paolo, and Eze. And it was, I mean, for me, a bit of a masterclass, boys, for these backup offensive linemen all the way through. I mean, whether it was Skipper at left tackle and Nelson at right, or Nelson at right and Lamb coming in at left, or Lamb at right and Nelson at left. Uh, Lamb struggled a little bit at left tackle, but apart from that, it was fantastic, the holes that they were opening up for the running backs, the time that our quarterbacks had to throw in the main. It was a, a performance that you wouldn't have attributed to a backup offensive line from this time last year. It's amazing the change that we'd have, we've seen. And Ant rightly kind of mentioned it at the top, but Stenberg and Kramer getting it done in the interior especially. I mean, how many O-linemen do you carry into a season? About nine. Eight or nine. And nine. I mean, I'd I'd go ten if we're gonna pick an extra I'd take the top five, take the three interior guys, Stenberg, Kramer and Brown, your interior. I'd take Eze and I might take Nelson with me if I've got room for him. The rest of them can go. For me it's very easy. That interior backup looks really good. The tackle backup looks poor as anything and i know they did all right this time but i've seen darren paolo in the nfl i've seen dan skipper in the nfl i've seen matt nelson in the nfl and i know what they are and they ain't gonna change so you know bye bye this is very very easy for me yes they played all right but keep the interior lot sweep the outside just keep eze 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it was one of our biggest weaknesses in the last couple of years, that, that second string O-line. But I've seen enough to feel a lot better of where we are now compared to where we were like 12 months ago. And um, yeah, I think I think Lamb, Eze, but as um, Anne picked out, Kramer and Stenberg were, were pretty decent. All right, let's flip this over to the defence and starting with the defensive line. We had Bruce Hector, Demetrius Taylor, Jashon Cornell, Isaiah Bugs. Um, we had Austin Bryant, John Kaminsky, Eric Banks, Houston, and Jared Davis. And it was a mixed bag here, guys. You know, the the press that we got up front, generally speaking, was really good in both run and pass, but it was punctuated by really good play from some and not so great from others, in my own humble opinion. And that was led really by Austin Bryant and John Kaminsky, I thought that they were absolute maulers um, on the on the edges. That was really, really encouraging to see that, you know, especially when we've got Julian Aquara being that backup rush end and him not practicing again. And, you know, what backup have we got? Leaves me thinking that, you know, I, I was convinced Austin Bryant was not making the roster coming into this preseason. He had no chance and I didn't know why we were carrying him. I thought he should have been gone already. And I'm finding it hard to not keep him on the roster now. I mean, he's definitely going to get picked up and he's going to start the way he's playing in a lot of places in this league right now. And then on the interior, I said mixed bag. Hector didn't have the best day, which was a bit sad. Jashon Cornell didn't either. Um, but Demetrius Taylor is really starting to press his case. Ant has been championing him all the way through this talking about him when we signed him never mind when we'd seen him in rookie minicamp all the way through to now and he's still on the outside looking in but he's got the door ajar and his foot's there and he's just got to push his way through it now boys i think um i think taylor and bryant um yeah so he played their way into the roster bryant was an absolute irrelevance you know last season with so much depth at, you know at that edge position but you know when you when you look at how he's performed um and the fact that a lot of our defensive ends just can't stay healthy um I think he's a Bryant's an absolute shoe in for the roster now and I agree with that with both you and Ant that Taylor's played his way up on as well. Austin Bryant's above Julian Aquara in my depth chart now. I'm just going to play it out there. Julian Aquara is injured again and not playing again. And that's just an issue which I'm fed up with now. Austin Bryan, I was the same. He's probably the he's the biggest mover out of everybody in camp for me. I know he had it. And the thing is, I'm, I'm a bit more confident in this because he actually did all right at the end of the season as well. You actually saw the flash at the end of the year. So it's not we're not just basing it on camp stuff. He did all right towards the end of the year in the NFL as well, and he's carried it on into camp. And he looks like a guy who's genuinely like, oh, God, my roster spot's in trouble. I'm going to bust my ass off so that I don't lose my roster spot. Exactly the type of guy that you want, and he's going crazy. It wasn't just in training. He was you know, he was getting sacks in training all the time in the one-on-ones with the Colts, and then he goes into the game. What was it? Three hurries, one sack, a bunch of tackles in there as well. So... You know, he's he's above Julian now, and if one of them's going to get cut, then bye-bye, Julian, you're done. Because Austin, he's a little bit more healthier, and he's in form at the minute. So I'm taking him. On the interior, you know, I'm I'm struggling now because, you know, I like you said, Matt, I've been a massive fan of Demetrius Taylor, and I still am. 
And my preference is still towards him because he's the younger guy who I believe has more growth in him going forward. And unlike Kaminsky, he's got the ability to play on the edge as well. That versatility puts him ahead of him. But I ain't taking out away from John Kaminsky. I mean, what was it? Five tackles and six stops. That's like 11 tackles in the game. And I swear he got two or three pressures as well. His stat line was crazy for that game. So it's kind of hard. He's fighting for a roster spot. He's doing exactly what he's been told to do. They've stopped the run in that game. It's it's a case of at this minute in time, I don't want to lose either of them. But we're going to have to because we've got four DTs already. You know, we've got Levi, we've got Pascal, we've got... Oh, it depends how we list Pascal, I guess. But if you push Pascal on the edge, then Julian's definitely gone. So this is a nice problem to have. I'm just glad Demetrius is balling out because I've put a lot of my stock in him. So, you know, that's nice. But I ain't going to take it away from Kaminsky. I like what I saw from this line. The backups are really fighting hard for it. And for me, Austin Bryant is a backup no more. He He is a lock in this team and... I think Taylor's is in there as well with Kaminsky. I think we'll find a way to get them all in somehow. I think we'll risk one to practice squad and we'll make it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, Linebackers, Malcolm Rodriguez, Derek Barnes, Anthony Pittman, Chris Board, Josh Woods, and Sean Dion Hamilton. And it was another mixed bag from these guys, boys. Um, But perhaps play looked better from the guys that you really wanted it to see from and the depth guys were the ones kind of falling behind and at the end of the day Barnes was the one that I was really encouraged by because we've seen it from Rodriguez already like Rodriguez is a starter right now Ryan said it earlier and I wholeheartedly agree he's going to be starting with Alex Anzalone but at the end of the day um, you want to be able to get rid of Anzalone eventually for Derek Barnes. We traded up for him, for God's sake. And him repping at that high kind of caliber that he did for the first 15 or so snaps that he was on the field. And then Pittman came on good too. You know, all the kind of stuff we've been hearing about him, he has actually turned it on too. But Board, Woods and Hamilton really doing themselves no favors at this point. No, Barnes is looking a lot better. And I know people are still picking on him for some reason, but I think they're using him a lot more to his strengths now. I mean, you saw he got three stops this week. They're bringing him up against the run. They've been more aggressive with him, which is what we've been screaming blue murder for for years now. You know, in the first game, you saw the tackle for loss on the running back. In this game, you saw him coming up to the line of scrimmage, getting involved in the run game. The D-line did well, and the linebackers backed them up. And that's what we've been crying out for. Be aggressive with your linebackers. Stack them in against the run. Don't leave them sat there in coverage, just like picking their noses. And they finally did it. So I will give kudos to Aaron Glenn for using these linebackers how he should. But Barnes is showing out rightfully as he should. Rodriguez is showing out rightfully. You know, if these two make the progressions we think we can this year, then we've got a room next year with two incredibly gifted linebackers there. And all of a sudden, it's a lot less of a problem come draft time. So, you know, I'm happy with what I've seen from Barnes so far. Yes, there are bits of his game he needs to fix, but overall, they're utilizing him better. He's playing better, and we're seeing the results because of it. And, you know, kudos to Aaron Glenn for doing it. Seems to play calmer. He seemed he seemed less. Um, he just seemed like really agitated against the Falcons, and he was like overplaying everything, and you know, just it just seemed like he was too excitable, and he was like a headless chicken, and he seemed to be 
much calmer and a bit more methodical and definitely like a bit more clinical in terms of his tackling. So for me, a much better performance and a sign of, of coaching progression as well. I mean, just massive props to Shep, really, for getting it done out there. He's he's treating him mean in large part because he's got to, and I think it's it's yielding results from the people that matter. So that's really gone. Uh, that's really good so far. Uh, moving on from the linebackers to the cornerbacks, Jeff Akuda, Bobby Price, Savion Smith, Will Harris, Mark Gilbert, Cedric Boswell, AJ Parker, and Ju not Juju Hughes, Mike Hughes. Um, Akuda coming on strong in the limited reps that he had. Obviously, I still think very highly of him, so he wasn't out there particularly long. I really want to focus on the good stuff that I saw from both, again, Bobby Price and Savion Smith. As backup outside cornerbacks, when they are called upon to perform, they seem to be doing the job, boys. Now, Boswell... Savion Smith definitely put on the, the hit this of the is, game. This is, this is Matt's version of my Logan Stenberg crush here, the Bobby Price stuff. This is long running and deeply ingrained. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it. You know, back your back your guy. I mean, at the end of the day, cornerbacks who can tackle are one of my big loves because at the end of the day, they get put out on islands out there. They don't have a defensive line around them to help them out or give them an assist here or there. Open field tackling is one of the biggest things that cornerbacks have to do. And Bobby Price and Savion Smith are getting it done, but Steve's absolutely right. The hit that, that Smith put on someone was absolutely fantastic. Um. The rest of them, Mark Gilbert's getting cut this week. Boswell too, hopefully. And Mike Hughes, I think, the... is in trouble. Gilbert and Boswell are the two easiest cuts to make this week, and it ain't even close. Yep. Seriously, Great. I I had hair at the start of the game on uh, on Saturday, and I pulled it out screaming at Mark Gilbert for how bad he was. Honestly, yeah. gave up two touchdowns on that game. I'm just like. Bye bye, you're done. This cornerback room has too much depth, and you've blown your opportunity. So, I reckon he's gone already. Someone has reminded me that Chase Lucas did take a few reps at the end there as well in the fourth. He absolutely did. Nothing notable, I don't think, though, from from Chase. Uh, His work was done for him by others today. Other yeah. cornerbacks got themselves cut today, so he's going to last longer. Detroit versus everyone has just asked a really good question. I'm just putting another couple to ask at the end. I know that we're already overrunning, but. There's some interesting questions that I want to get to, so I'm just going to pop this in there now. That's my fault. I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, right. Last position group, apart from special teams, is the safeties, and only two safeties played. Uh, Kirby Joseph and Juju Hughes. Uh, we saw Joseph potentially have the problem in coverage for the long touchdown that happened but it was broken down really well ash posted it in the discord it was broken down really well by um eric i think on twitter who was going through what happened on that play and that actually in in a split um safety kind of coverage you're doing a lot of communication passing off and the way the route developed you really should be passing off there and and joseph's guy uh, was the guy streaking down the field, but because he was coming across the formation, he should have been then taking the tight end that did a little skinny inside. Whereas the guy moving across the formation and going up was going to be um, uh, the guy that he was... I can't remember who the other guy was that didn't communicate particularly well, but it should have been his 
to pass off. It was Gilbert, and he didn't pass him off. And in the end of the day, they both got in each other's way and both slowed down, not really knowing what they were doing. As much as anything, it was miscommunication on both their parts, but it probably was Gilbert's problem and not Hughes at the end of the day. Joseph, uh, sorry, not, um, yeah, Joseph. Um, but Juju Hughes, I thought, kind of did his work fine. I didn't see too much else from the safeties to kind of take note of, really, Lance. Kirby is what we knew he was going to be. He's a project. He will do some good things, and he will do some bad things. He got hyped up a little too much because that safety room is bare, and we kind of wanted to make ourselves feel better, thinking we got the next best thing straight away to make it feel like we'd done something with safety in the draft. But we didn't. We neglected it. We put it on hold. We've put a project player there, and that's nothing against him. You know, he's a good player, and he will be a great safety in the NFL in time. But there are a lot of issues to sort with his game at the minute, and you've seen them. So, you know, this is why he shouldn't be starting right away. You give him some reps, but, you know, he did give up a few passes other than that one as well. I think he was three of four in coverage. It's it's meh against some backups as well. But, you know, I'm not knocking on him. It's just he's been put in a position, I think, higher up the depth chart than he should be at the minute just because we've neglected safety to such a degree that, you know, it is negligible. So, you know, he's just having growing pains. He'll get there eventually. And, you know, I've no doubt that he will get there eventually. But you, at the minute, you're just seeing the raw nature of his game. So don't, don't, yeah, there's no reason to pick on him. As for the others, I'm just like, I'm waiting for teams to cut players now because I'm waiting for the safeties to come out. And we'll, we should hopefully get someone off waiver who can come in and have a meaningful impact while Kirby develops. I completely agree. Um, I think linebacker and safety is where we need to um, try and pick pick up um, waivers from other teams and maybe some free agency cash. Um, and but yeah, like this is where you want Kirby making mistakes in preseason. Hundred percent. Right. Let's move on yeah. to special teams and just starting off with the man of the moment, Maurice Alexander. So on punt returns. He was three returns for 22 yards, but on kick returns, four for 152, including two returns of around 50 yards or so. I think one was 49 and one was 61. Exceptional. I mean, potentially, we found our replacement kick returner. It's taken us a year out to find someone who could replace Jamal Agnew, but the guy has got it. I mean... Maybe it's just luck. Maybe it's just luck. But he did bloody well with it. Whoa. He doesn't seem to be the quickest. Like, he doesn't seem to have, like, an absolute explosive burst of speed. But he seems to make people miss. And he's got, like, he, he seems to be able to cut without slowing down. So that's exactly what you want in a kick returner. And he didn't fumble it. I think it's about as much as having a brain, though, because, you know, when you get the ball, you're making like a thousand little calculations as to where's the best route to go and that. You need to have that nous. You don't necessarily need the speed all the time. You just need to have the brain to do it. But mm. I would just kind of hold back on the he's a lock, he's the specialist returner. Oh, You've no, I'm, to, not, I'm not going there yet. I'm just got, saying no, it could I mean, be. It could we be. Do need to, we do need to see it in the – because obviously you need upside as a receiver as well, and he's coming from the yeah, – the, the, USFL so you need to see that he can bring value to because at the end of the day you're going to have to cut an actual receiver for him and so he needs to have enough value in that department so yes wonderful performance you know he's come from the USFL he's he's been playing all summer 
all these guys have had time off over the summer. He has not. He's grinded through the regular season, through the USFL season. He's coming back and he's grinding again. That's the good thing about these USFL guys. No days off, no plays off. That's what Dan Campbell will love about him. So let's see in week three if he can translate this into some meaningful passes as a receiver. And if he gets, you know, sort of three, four receptions, knocks out 40, 50 yards, makes some plays, then the hype can start getting real about him potentially being a returning option here. But he's done all he can, and that's all you want from him so far. So let's see what week three brings for him. As for the kicker, I told you Patterson was the better kicker. Cyber doinked one. From fifty-five, man. Oh well, you know, Justin took a nail one from about a million yards and got it in. So fifty-five. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realise we were on the brink of cutting Justin Tucker. <laughs> Patterson's <laughs> getting there. Cybert dunked one, doinked one. Sorry, Cyber... Team Patterson. Cybert's the leader in the clubhouse, and if nothing changes, he'll be the guy that stays. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, hitting a pole in golf's a good thing, but you know, clubhouse, we're not in a clubhouse here. You know, we're in a locker room. You know, need to get it through the gap. All I'm saying is Patterson's P forty five is is approaching. If you don't know what that means, that is the name of the form you get when you're made unemployed in the UK. Um Jack Fox as well, two punts, hundred and nine yards along the sixty two. That was a really booming kick. I really loved that. Um I'll that's tell you what it. though. The, the the leg in the other team. There, there are, I think, you know, there might be some better punters in this league now. I know it's like gross to say, but you know, there's a there's a certain one that's come out of college this year who's like making his punts look small. And Was that Matt Arasia? Matt Arasia, yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, he's just he's the leg man. Jesus Christ, he flips a field something chronic. But you know, yeah. Jack, he, he Jack. wasn't even the top punter drafted. Jack's elite. Jack is elite, but I mean, I mean, there is some top-notch punting competition round this year for him. Right, that's the end of our game to recap. Game three is coming up this Sunday. It's at the Steelers, four thirty ET, nine thirty UK time. Because that means about a half past midnight finish. I'm not sure if I'll do the live stream that I've done for the first two games. I'm tempted. I probably will, but I have. Well, I'll do. I'll do one yet. if you, I can. I can do one on mine, and then you can drop off if you get tired. Because mm. I'll be doing one. So sounds. I can actually do it this me. week because I was at work for the other one. Yeah. I just hope it's not as dull as the last bloody Pittsburgh game. Because Jesus, that was a slog. So they look like they're a bit more of an exciting team than than they could have been, especially at quarterback this year. All of their guys seem to be at least doing something. Mason Rudolph is having a good off season. Aren't you know, we trading for him? No. <laughs> no, we're not. Next question. Um, yeah, so the Steelers are 2-0 <laughs> through the preseason after wins against Seattle and Jacksonville. They basically had no run game against Jacksonville whatsoever. They were as bad as the Colts were against us in the last game. And it's bloody Jacksonville, for God's sake. Their pass game is looking better than expected. I'm estimating that Rudolph is going to take the majority of the snaps in this one. But we will see. Join us for that this time next week. Uh, just on listener questions, and if you've got anything quickly you want us to address, get it in now because we've overran. So I'm just going to go to the two that we've had. First is from Don Burr, and he says... How many bona fide studs do we have on this team? How many guys are you putting in that level of stud player? Did you just say bona fide? Mm-hmm. Don't you mean bona fide? If you, if you want to say it incorrectly, yes. 
correct answer is three, and that is Frank Ragnow, Penny Soul, and Amon Ross and Brown. And three bona fide studs. Bona fide studs. Oh no, I think Aleem's a bona fide stud. Aleem's a bona fide stud. Um Did nothing. Stephen. He made Is the he... all pro rookie team as a nose tackle and he's having a good offset. I don't know what more you want from him. We're you know, talking... he was he was he was beasting Quentin Nelson, who's one of the best guards in the NFL the other day. We're talking bona fide, like absolute bona fide. What the fuck is this? Um, <laughs> right, okay. <sighs> I knew that would burn you. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so I would probably go for four, maybe five. I'd add to Steve's list with Taylor Decker for sure. I think he's a stud. Um, okay, I think we've got at least. I think we've got at least five or six future bona fide. Studs. Oh, get fair. Okay, Jesus. right. Last question. I think, from... I think Taylor Decker is like a really, really, really good player. Like he's a top twelve like... offensive tackle, uh, left tackle. But Ragnar is one of the best best three centers in the league. Penesul will be absolutely the best tackle by the end of this season. And St. Brown need us anymore. Cool down is rat says le- Jonah Jackson le- as well. I mean, I, you hey, can I tell make you the what. case. You can make the case. Mm, you could. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last question then from Detroit versus everybody um, who's been really active in the chat. And thank you for doing that, my guy. Um, he says about the linebackers, can we go into the season with only three since the talent is better elsewhere? Can we actually do it with three? I would venture no, unless you're very comfortable playing four one six, nickel, dime. I think unless you're going to carry Julian and James and maybe Austin, if you're going to play him, if you're going to carry a clutch of outside linebackers as edges, then maybe. Because then at least you've got some depth if it starts to go under. But I, I don't know. I mean, you've got to carry Barnes. His second year, he looks like he could be a lot better. You've got to carry Anzalone because at the minute, he's the vet guy in there. You're carrying Rodriguez, absolutely. And then you do have to carry a bit of depth because unfortunately, a lot of our special team's ability comes from linebackers. So, you know, we're going to need to carry a few of those guys. I don't think you can get away with just three. It's a very tough position. Three linebackers. We need Rodriguez. We need Emrod. And we need Rodrigo. There we go. Yeah. 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 Right, that's going to wrap this one up, guys. Thank you so much for joining us live on the YouTube and Twitch chats. If you want to get your questions in for the next show, do tweet us at RTO underscore UK or get on the live show because we will answer your questions if you ask them of us. Uh, next show, Monday, August 29th, it's the third Hard Knocks episode review and the preseason game three reaction and the cut down to 53 will be just after that game. So we may well do a 53 man roster prediction on that show as well. We will be live on Sunday in some form or fashion during the game as Ant has just been talking about. I don't know about college football show in terms of if you're going to be doing anything else now until week zero that comes around 
College Football Podcast will be back on Thursday. So week zero is this week. For anyone who doesn't know what that is, that is like a clutch of games that's played technically before the season starts. It just sort of balances the schedule out a little bit for some teams. So week zero is this coming weekend. So we're going to be here on Thursday. We're going to be previewing the week zero games and we're all going to be setting up our new schedule for the season. We will be starting a pick watch league where, oh well, I'll be running this pitch watch league. I'm going to pick 10 games every week, some of the closer ones in college. You've got to guess the winners of them. You're going to be up against me and Ryan, who are going to be making our predictions as well. So if you want in on that, let us know, and we'll see who the uh, college football guru is by the end of the season. But it's going to be fun. We've got some new segments coming in. We've got some old segments returning. We're going to revert back to the format we were at last year. So it's going to be good. So join us on Thursday, and... uh, we're going to look through some of the player groups as well. So if you've got any questions related to the Lions draft in 2023, if you're interested in safeties for next year, cornerbacks next year, quarterbacks for next year, whatever, let us know. We'll scout them for you and we'll get them on the show. So, yeah. We've seen like a disclaimer for listeners' questions to say that we will answer your questions, but some of Ryan McCluskey's answers will make you cry. Yeah. Yeah. You should have heard him talking about his own team today. It was brutal. He, the man takes no prisoners. Absolutely none. And if you haven't, if you missed it, they did talk about the Mac earlier today as well on our channel. Do go and check that out if you missed it. Thanks to everyone in the chats. We are still just two or three subscribers away on YouTube from 500. If you can get us there, much appreciate you. Like Christopher Magee, who did that earlier on in the stream. If you're on Twitch, stand by and we're going to raid Chris Perfett as he gets ready for the Pride of Detroit podcast. But... Socials, Royal Lions UK on YouTube, Twitch, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and the group on Facebook, Detroit Lions Fans UK One Private Wide. Website, RoyalTheLionsUK.com. Subscribe, rate us five stars, all the good stuff. Lions Nation Unite, you know what to do. Just my thanks to the now departed. That Whenever I say that, it makes it sound like he's died. I don't mean it like that. The, Just taking Hank away. Shall I tell you what has died? The reason we're doing this today is because we're watching two dying football teams in the Premier League tomorrow, and that's why we're here. So there we go. Yeah. Dying. Thanks, can't man. win a game. Can't can't win a game to save the lives. Even we have won a game. Even Ryan's Bradford City have won a game. Your twos ain't won a game between you yet. You know that clown emoji where they're fighting one another. That's what tomorrow is. Feels like we're we should create a Premier League YouTube channel and just carry on this chat on there. <laughs> it really does. Anyway, thanks to you guys for joining me. My name's Matthew Turner, and we'll see you for the game on Sunday. Let's go, Lions. One pride. One pride.